Welcome to the ISA podcast series. This podcast covers all topics related to the International Sound Awards from the areas of sound, music and tech. The International Sound Awards promote innovative, smart and useful sound projects, products and services that contribute to the motto, make the world sound better. If you would like to learn more about the ISA, check www.international-sound-awards.com. Today we have another recording from our ISA Sessions 2019. At the ISA Sessions, a few nominees had the chance to present their project in more detail. The ISA Sessions were part of the official Raperband Festival program. In today's session, Johnny Round, Managing Director of the Sound Agency, talks about the European Society of Cardiology's new audio identity. The European Society of Cardiology's new audio identity is inspired by the sound of a human heartbeat and includes five event sounds. After its 2018 Congress, which attracted over 30,000 attendees, ESC praised the sound's ability to bring the Congress together and its fantastic ability to resonate with the cardiologists. Well, first off, thank you very much for having me here. It's a pleasure to be here with all you fine people. Um, the plan for today, really, over the next 45 minutes... What I'm going to do is I'm going to explain a little bit of how the sound agency works for the first 20 minutes, because we specialize in two different areas. We specialize in branding, but we also specialize in sound in spaces and how that affects people. So we're going to discuss how sound affects people, the way that we operate, and then I'm going to go more in depth into the project itself about the ESC. So to give you some background on the way sound affects, we're going to talk about it. We have, as human beings, four main ways of communicating. Writing, reading, speaking, and listening. I've presented them all here on the screen as equal, in equal weighting. But we think in society, it's more triggered like this. We have a serious problem with listening in the world right now. If a child leaves school unable to read or write, then there's a problem. But how many people do you know who are unable to listen? I'm not going to lie, it's something that ex-girlfriends have thrown at me on several occasions, my inability to listen and to take in information. And this is a problem because it affects our happiness, our effectiveness, and our well-being. If I was to tell you right now, 2% of Europe's population suffer severely disturbed sleep due to traffic noise, that is actually 8 million people. If you think 2% of Europe's GDP is over 300 billion euros then you'll see we've actually got a huge issue with noise and with sound around the world. People's inability to get sleep, such as I know several people here who are up very early to come here today, <laughs> affects people's ability to think and to focus, and it affects our productivity. There's also been some interesting research done recently at the University of Bremen, showing what happens to people if they're subjected to sound at over 65 decibels for a long period of time. And the conclusions are pretty, pretty apparent. That was that the environmental council was of the opinion that the results show a consistent trend. The threshold level for possible noise-induced risk of heart attack has been established at a daytime emission level of 65 decibels. This I find fascinating. If you're subjected to over 65 decibels for an extended period per day, you are more likely to have a heart attack. That is a very low volume. That's way quieter than the inside of an average shopping mall or airport, 
And people are subjected to this on a daily basis. If you think about it, if you're in a hospital, you have all this sound going on around you. It's going to affect your ability to get better. It's going to be affecting your bodily hormones. It's going to be affecting the way that you're thinking. It's going to be affecting you psychologically, physiologically. You need a calm space to be able to focus. And anyway, we have a problem where you sit in a restaurant designed out of glass and steel. The sound reflecting all around you and you're unable to have a conversation with a person sitting opposite you. You board a 200 or well, 40 million pound airplane and you can't hear an announcement through a five dollar speaker. This inability to process sound drives us all absolutely mad. And we do live in a world of sound that we think is accidental and unpleasant. Which has led us to developing a very unconscious relationship with sound. Very unconscious. We don't have them, but we have an internal ear lids. With eyelids, we can shut our eyes and block bad sights off. With nose, you, you hold your nose. But with hearing, what we do is we bury our head in the sand to get rid of it. But what that does is it takes up cognitive bandwidth. Now, there are four ways that we think sound affects us. The first is this. Is physiologically. It affects your breathing. It affects your heart rate. It affects your bodily hormones. What I just did to you all there through that horrendous noise was put a bit of cortisol into your bloodstream. It's your flight or flight hormone. It's the exact same thing as if you were to be walking through the woods late at night and you'd hear a twig snap behind you. Several things would happen, right? Your heart rate would start beating faster, your breathing would start beating faster, and you'd probably get on the move, you know, get in the action to move. And that's a physiological response to sound. Now, what I can do is also physiologically is to calm you down. That's nice. So this is surf at 12 cycles per second, which is roughly the same rate as a breathing human being when they're sleeping. And if I was to leave this playing in here, yeah, you will all nod off. So let's move on from this and go on to the second way sound affects you, which is physiological. Psychological, sorry. Sound affects your emotions, it affects your feelings. It's through association, really, but this piece of sad music will make you feel quite sad. And that's because you associate it with sad things. Now, in a second, we're going to switch to birdsong. This has an amazing psychological effect on human beings as we associate birds with safety. And this is something that's really built into the human psyche. As you've learned, it's when the birds stop singing, that's when it's time to be worried. So birdsong has this amazing ability to act as sort of nature's alarm clock. It wakes you up, but it puts you in a very relaxed state at the same time. It's very comforting. The third way sound affects people is cognitively. It's impossible to understand two people talking at the same time. You can't do it. So trying to hear between me and Julian talking on the track there is absolutely impossible. You can't do it. The human brain has the ability to take in about 1.6 conversations per second. That's it. Even women with their far better ability to take in information can't understand two conversations coming at them at the same time. Even women. Yeah. Which is why if any of you have ever worked in an office like this, you'll know it's extremely distracting. Which is leading to stats like this, where open offices can lead to a productivity decrease of 66%. Having people around you talking the entire time takes up all the bandwidth you need to think. Leading you to be unable to focus when it comes to doing project-based work. For collaboration... They're absolutely brilliant because everyone's there and working on the same thing at the same time. But if you want to get a single piece of work done, they're fairly shocking. 
The final way sound affects people we think is behaviorally. If you listen to this piece of music and think of someone driving a car, they're not driving at a steady 30 kilometers an hour. They'll probably be driving a lot faster than that. That's because sound affects how we behave. If I was to play this sound in here now, which is a pneumatic drill, and leave it playing, I'm sure most of you would want to get up and leave within a good 30 seconds. That's because we tend to move... We move away from bad sound and sound that affects you physiologically. And we move away from bad sound and we move towards sound that we like. We've got some great case studies now on how sounds affect people in the past. And I really enjoy these two. This one, I don't know if any of you know it, is by North Hargreaves and McKendrick from 1997. What they did is they set up two identical wine stalls. One which had um, French wine, one had German wine. And what they did is they... uh, switched the music that was playing between French music and German music to see what the effect would be on people. So one day you'd have this, some beautiful Parisian music, and the next day you'd have this, some German music. Now what happened on the day the French music was playing, French wine outsold the German wine by five bottles to one. However, on the day that the German music was playing, the German wine outside the French wine by two bottles to one. Now, what was happening here was people weren't actually thinking, hmm, darling, there's some lovely German music playing. We, we should definitely buy some German wine tonight. It was a much more subconscious reaction to that. But it's amazing, as the case study goes, of how powerful sound can be in affecting purchasing behavior. Another one, also involving wine, is by Iranian Kim from 1993, who um, they set up a wine shop in a restaurant and they alternated classical versus pop music randomized for day of the week in the case study and adjusted for customer age and type. And what happened was um, spending increased with classical music. And that was because people associated classical music with quality and ended up buying the more refined wines. Again, a very subconscious thing. And this is something that we tell all our clients, that inappropriate retail soundscapes can lead to a huge decrease in sales of up to 28%. And this isn't a conscious thing. This is sound in spaces subconsciously affecting people. And that's what we do. And it's all part of a new conversation that's going on, really, about the difference in marketing and what we're all really involved in here. We like to think of this change between intrusion to permission, reluctance to engagement, broadcast to conversation. And what we are, really, is visual to multi-century. This is a huge change in branding that's going on. And the reason why it's happening is because, as we all know, or most of us in here know, sound is the gateway to the emotion. We buy on emotions, not on rationality. And this is really important because, you know, as I said, sound is the gateway to the emotion. The decision process in brand adoption, engagement, and loyalty is actually 70% emotional. If I was to put this slide up and to show you four different types of car, would anyone know from this spreadsheet right now which car they'd want to buy? Unless you go entirely on price, it's kind of a hard one to do, but it becomes a lot easier as soon as you do this. That's because you have emotional attachment to some of these brands and instantly you know, oh yeah, I want the Jag or I want the BMW, depending on your preference. And that is an emotional response. As I said, when you're purchasing or when you're behaving, it's an emotional and a non-conscious reaction. So all of this comes together in the difference that's going on in branding right now and what we're doing with soundscaping. And it's the difference between appearance and experience. How do you make a brand or how do you make an event an experience for people? 
How do you not just design with the eyes? How do you design with the entire sound and make it all part of the customer journey? And as we always tell people at this point, if they're in marketing who say, oh, that's a good idea, we should do some sound next year. Every brand is making sound right now. Problem is, it might not be planned and it might not be well done. Now, at the sound agency, we tend to focus mainly on soundscapes for retail spaces. That's because music comes with associations. If I was to play this, I'm sure half of you know what that song is just off that chord. It's one of those, we need to change that because the younger the audience are getting, the more people are just looking at me and staring, saying they have no idea what that song is, which is really quite depressing that they don't know a hard day's night. But hey-ho. So that was a hard day's night, something you know just from that one instant note. And everyone always knows this, which is the sign to not go in the water. People recognise music, people associate it with things, and that's where it gets its power from. What music isn't is a veneer. It's not something to really put in the background, especially not pop music. And that's because no one's really, as far as I know, I mean, we never do this when I write music, is to write something and think, I want no one to notice this, especially with lyrics involved. As soon as words come into something, then they take up all that cognitive bandwidth that people have, and it makes it really hard to then influence the behavior. This is something that the sound agency actually wrote a white paper on, which is music is not a veneer, and we're happy to send that around to people. And we actually tested three types of sound in a retail setting. We did cafe noise, generative sound, and a music playlist. And we actually found that generative sound was the best thing for relaxing people in a retail environment. And that's why we focus on soundscapes and why I'm going to talk to you about why we did use soundscapes at the ESC. But before I do that, our rules on soundscapes are that they have, that normally when we go into a space, the sound is really random. It's entirely incongruent and it doesn't fit with the brand. And normally it's really hostile. So some examples of sound that we found when auditing previous companies in the past, I'm going to play you now. So we have stuff like this. That first one was a wheel from a trolley. That's a lovely fridge we found. And this is our pet favourite. So these were all from a Walmart in the United States that we went to go have a look at when we were thinking about working, well, trying to work with them. And they had this dance track playing through the most awful speaker you've ever thought. You just got to think, what are you guys doing? Do you really hate your customers this much that you're subjecting them to this bad sound the entire time? Why are you making such a hostile environment for your customers and for people who, you know, when you're trying to present your brand properly. So we always say soundscapes need to be designed and well-zoned. Our biggest bugbear is when we find a noisy environment and people try to put sound on top of it because that's essentially, as um, it's a phrase in England, it's putting icing on mud. That's not a cake. It's literally just icing on mud. And it sounds awful. So the way that the sound agency works when it comes to looking at a space and what we did with the ESC is we break down sound in an environment into these four different areas. So we look at the acoustics, we look at the noise sources, we look at the sound system, and then we look at the content, with content being last. The idea being we, we look at what the, how the sound operates in a space, we then look at if there's any horrific noise being pumped into it already that needs removing, then we'll have a look at the sound system with what needs doing, And then finally, we'll think, right, what content is going to work inside that space? And working up that pyramid tends to provide the best results, as when you start off with a room that sounds really poor acoustically and has noise sources going everywhere, you're not going to create a soundscape and put it into that space that has any effect. 
it ends up just being a really hostile environment still. And like I said, you're putting icing on mud. The way that we tend to explain acoustics to people, I always like the slide because it took me a day to make and I'm quite proud of it, is sound can do three things when it hits a, uh, a surface. It can either be reflected, it can be absorbed, or it can be transmitted. And that's what we look for when we go to a space, how much reflection is going on, what are these sounds going to be doing, how are they going to be making people behave. Easiest thing to do with sound is to have a look for the noise reduction coefficient or the sound transmission coefficient. They all say how much is either being reflected back or how much is being transmitted out the other side. When it comes to soundscapes, we like to think of them as this is a case study, well, not a case study, it's quite an interesting way of thinking about it really, is we like to think of them as the background to the Mona Lisa. We're not there to paint you know, the woman in the middle. When we're creating a soundscape, we're there to provide the background and we're there to create the ambience. It's exactly the same for us as why these walls are painted sort of cream in here. They're not designed to attract your attention at all. They're designed to create a nice fitting for whatever content is supposed to take place. And that's what we do when we're providing our content, especially for an event. We're very aware that we're there only to provide the background and to create a branded background. But we're not trying to grab anyone's attention so much. We're trying to create the right environment for that situation to happen. We tend to do it mainly using generative sound. So we have our system called the Amberfire, which randomly produces sound that we program into it. And I'll talk more about that when I talk about the ESC. Sound quality is obviously a main thing. I'm going to skip through this. And of course, all the stuff we do with nature sound that I've talked about briefly before. Bird song's amazing, but wind and water as well, we find in soundscapes, the sort of biophilia of bringing the outside world in really helps put people at rest. I mean, it's sort of happening here with the flowers that are on the wall, the plants. Why not do it with sound as well? It makes human beings a lot happier. Case studies that we've done before the ESC that were quite interesting was Harrods. This is a lovely case study we did with them where they wanted some sound for their glass department. So we created a generative soundscape made entirely of glass. So everything you can hear right now is different pieces of glass that we sampled and then programmed into the amplifier to reproduce generatively. This was playing in their glass department for several years. Another case study is Glasgow Airport, where using generative sound and birdsong in the duty-free area, so straight as people have gone through security, we installed generative sound and birdsong, and that ended up having retail sales in duty-free increase by 10%. As what was happening was people normally, when they go through, you know, they go through security, which is a really stressful experience, then straight away, you've got duty-free, and they're like, chop! And people are like, no, I just want to go relax somewhere. So the more you can put a relaxing environment in that space, the more it affects people and the results speak for themselves. We can increase retail spend that way. Another interesting case study before I talk about the ESC was Lancaster, California, where we installed a whole pile of speakers down this boardwalk. And what happened by playing this soundscape is there was a reduction in crime by 15% in the area, just from the sound that was put into it. And this all ties into what I was talking about earlier in the way sound affects people. Sound affects us physiologically, psychologically, cognitively, and behaviorally. And if you put the right soundscapes into a space, what happens is it affects how people behave. People will start spending more because they're more relaxed, or they'll commit less crime because they've got less being bombarded at them. They're not as cognitively stressed. Soundscapes have an amazing ability to change how people behave. So what we're going to do now is going to watch a little four-minute video on what we did for the ESC, and then I'm going to talk you through how that all worked.
The European Society of Cardiologists, or ESC, aims to improve the prevention and treatment of heart disease. Its Congress is the largest annual medical meeting in the field of cardiology in the world, attracting over 30,000 attendees. Conferences and exhibitions can often sound stressful, chaotic and fatiguing. That's because they fail to ask two key questions. How does our brand sound? And how can we create an excellent customer experience in sound as well as in sight? ESC wanted to answer these questions in order to design sound that would enhance Delegate's Congress experience. The ESC brand values are authority, integrity, influence and innovation. The visual brand is well-defined, but until 2018 there was no brand sound strategy and no congruent sonic assets. The sound agency visited ESC's state-of-the-art headquarters near Nice to lay the foundations for a new sonic logo. When complete, this sound became the central DNA of a new audio identity. Its rhythm replicates a human heartbeat, while its melody and harmonies are clear, strong and uplifting, just like ESC's visual brand. The next task was to design a set of auditory experiences, all derived from this sonic logo. The 2018 Congress occupied a vast 100,000 square metres of space at Munich Messe. Our detailed sound audit mapped out all the creative and technical requirements and resulted in a sound action plan that detailed five event sounds to play in 21 spaces at defined times. Three of the sounds were generative soundscapes playing at ambient levels to create pleasing background sound. An uplifting branded soundscape welcomed delegates. A subtle, slower soundscape played in auditoria between events to encourage human connection. And a nature-based soundscape supported relaxation in open areas. The other two custom sounds were pieces of branded music, each prominently featuring the Sonic logo. A three-minute call to action piece played just before sessions to signify that the start was imminent and build anticipation. And inspiring walk-on music accompanied speakers onto the stage. because our Congress is so vast, we felt that sound was missing. And so we went to the experts at the sound agency to help us, and it was a great success. Sort of unexpectedly, the response from the cardiologists was fantastic. They noticed right away, we were getting a lot of positive feedback from the cardiologists, who particularly liked the fact that there was sound in the registration area when they arrived, that there was sound in the outdoor area when they were having lunch, and that the sound brought the Congress together, should we put it like that. What they really liked, though, was that the sound was based on the heartbeat. We made a great team, and we're looking forward to working with them again in 2019. Happy delegates commented on the excitement and fitting atmosphere that the Congress sound created. Hosts and stand owners described the installations as calming, 
and refreshing. Overall, the result was an event that stood out from the typical conference for its innovation, creativity and consideration of delegates' comfort and energy levels. So that's a nice little intro in what we did for them and, and how it worked. I'm going to talk to you a little bit more in brief about the process of how we came to the sound and how we operate now and how it worked throughout the day and also the lessons that we learned from it. Because there was, um, whilst it was a really good success, we've been doing it again this year. It's just finished in Paris. And there were several takeaways that I'd like to share with you all because any soundscaping in the future will definitely be using what we learned from it. And it's good to share it with you guys. So we start off, I mean, the sound agency works on a four um, sort of phase structure. Anything we do, we do define, design, deploy, and then develop is how we work. And what we do when we define anything is we just start by looking at the brand as much as possible. That's our process. How much information can we get? So we did a workshop, we audited the brand, and we were really lucky with this client as they have as their brand value innovative. I always find that any brand that has innovative as a brand value is normally a lot more open to sound branding and soundscapes as a concept than companies that aren't. So once we'd done our define phase and looked at the brand, then it was time to, well, carry on defining, really. What we did is we had a look at how we wanted people to behave throughout the Congress. And we had a look at the four different ways that I've talked to you about how sound affects people to create the soundscapes. So we started off with physiological. We went through and did a rating of exactly what we want from all these different ways of people behaving physiologically. So is it going to be forceful? Is it going to be gentle? Is it mellow, party, you name it? Try and establish what tone we were going for. Once we'd done physiological, we had a look at psychological ways that we want the sound to affect people. So what exactly are we trying to elicit in terms of sound in different spaces? How do we want it to work? Behavioural, how exactly do we want people to behave? Do you want them to speed up, slow down? What tempo are we looking at? And then finally, cognitive. What mindset do you want to leave people with? And this is our process of developing exactly how we want to sort of get people in the right frame of mind. This isn't so much a branding exercise. This is how do we get the right sound that's going to elicit the right results in this space. So this is our process of understanding, okay, in this space, we need people to be behaving, you know, walking at a four out of 10 tempo. We want them to be fairly calm, not animated. We want them to be really social and we want them to be more in action than browsing. From that, we're then able to look at what sounds that match their brand and to develop the right sound to play in that space. And that's a really crucial part of our process, to be honest, because it really helps us understand is the soundscape that we're creating matching the brand and also matching what result we want out of it so the content you just heard a bit of an overview on the content i'm going to talk to you a little bit again now so we have the sonic logo that we designed for them which is this all designed around the human heartbeat it's the european society of cardiology i know using a heartbeat in sound design is a bit of a cop-out but we figured this time it was okay to do it um, there's the ESC soundscape, which is the welcome soundscape. Any installation we do now, we try to have a welcome soundscape as it's a brilliant way to brand an environment and also to start the customer journey off properly. So we're working right now with a company in the Middle East um, called Majid Afatayim and we're installing in all their shopping malls a welcome soundscape just to refresh people when they enter. So if you think about any customer journey when they've arrived at a location, they're going to be stressed out from traffic they're going to be exhausted. They probably had a fight in the car or something. And they need to have a sense of being welcomed and also relaxed, put in the right frame of mind 
before that event. So this is the Welcome Soundscape we designed for them, which worked really well. It's also got the Sonic logo, you can hear subtly interwoven it in the background. The Connect Soundscape, this one we designed around the frequency of human voice. So we designed it around mine and uh, Julian's voices actually. So people are very, very capable of having a conversation with this playing in the background. It's not actually going to interact so much with anyone's voice. It's really got really lots of high frequencies and it's got barely no mids. So people are really able to communicate whilst this is happening. There's the nature soundscape for the outdoors areas and for the plant-based areas as a way of refreshing people and relaxing people. This one was still playing in Paris this year, actually. It works really well in an outside environment as everyone's congregating to have a chat and to catch up. It's a really beautiful example of bringing a place to life. It's a bit of an aggressive bird song there, but it does work as a relaxing, <laughs> relaxing sound. And then finally, the call to action music. As people were said, it's time to go up on stage, which was this. So this was a sign, sorry, that talk's going to start in five minutes. Everyone get to your seats. Everything's about to start. So it was that journey throughout the day. Then walk-on music for the event as well. This is a 30-second piece for when people are walking up to the stage and back. Now, the big problem that we found, really, with the content that we deployed throughout ESC is we had these you know, lovely soundscapes that were playing. Um, what we hadn't factored in for, really, was changing crowd sizes. So this year, when we worked in Paris, we um, installed ambient noise compensation. So we put microphones all around the Congress, which then lifted the levels of the speakers up and down, depending on the volume of the people who were there. That actually made a huge difference. So there wasn't someone standing turning the volume up and down every 30 minutes, as we had to do in Munich during this Congress. And that worked really well. With the content deployment, we actually worked really hard with the sound strategy to make sure that every single area had its own the right sound playing at the right time. It was a lot of time of our tech team's work to make sure that all the sound was you know, deployed throughout this huge arena into the right areas. And like I said, the main lesson we learned really with the branded content was that it has to be well zoned and it has to be time-based was the other thing. So this year, as opposed to having one soundscape playing in certain areas throughout the entire thing, we actually designed several more soundscapes to play to alternate throughout the day. Because even though our soundscapes are generative, so they don't repeat themselves, if you're listening to essentially the same soundscape throughout the day for five days on the trot, it's really fatiguing, really fatiguing for everyone involved. So we mixed it up a bit this year, which is another lesson we learned. So every few hours, just have it change a bit. We also, with one of the soundscapes, made it reactive. So it actually organically changed throughout the day. So it wasn't one soundscape moving to another. It sort of merged into each other on the amplifier, And that worked really well. This is another example of how we deploy the content, and it's a really good example of what our tech team did. It's just an example of how much work was involved in sort of hand-holding throughout the entire process. So it was a couple of months' work of making sure that all the PAVA systems were set up properly throughout the arena, which is something that we did and provided you know, in the audit and helped the client with. And then, like I said, from now on, we carried on working with them. and We did a whole pile of recommendations from our visit of what they should be doing moving forward. And they have actually implemented them all, which is really nice. So that is the case study, really, in a nutshell. Um, the aim of it, really, was to help improve happiness, effectiveness, and well-being, which is what we want to do as a company. How can we make congresses and events more engaging for people, more refreshing, more relaxing? How can we create branded content, but also content that, um, yeah, makes the world sound nicer? Something that makes people happier when they're in these spaces. And what I kind of love about this case study is it's kind of a 
It was a first for us, sonifying a Congress. And for me, it says a lot about where sound branding can go and all the routes that we have available to us as an industry. You know, we can go to European Society of Cardiology, but there are so many of these conferences happening annually. And it's just an amazing window into the opportunity that awaits this industry. And that's why we entered it, really, because I thought it's, it showed a lot of possibility for the future. So thank you very much for watching this presentation. I hope you enjoyed it. And let's have a Q&A. Have any questions? Thank you very much. Very interesting. Um, the loudspeakers and getting the sounds of the loudspeakers, that would interest, interest me mm. to, to know, were they there? Did you bring them? How were they wired? <laughs> I couldn't tell you how they were wired. I can tell you that we did a lot of testing on frequency response and we did a lot of work at the angles they were placed at to make sure they were above head height. So any loudspeakers that we had, we didn't want them being at the same height as human beings' heads because then people are going to get bombarded with sound. So we tried to make sure the height of them was always at a certain level. How they were wired... No, I, 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 mean, I mean, were they existing already at the no, place most of them? No, they weren't. A lot of it wasn't. I mean, this year was actually quite great. We've just finished it in um, Paris. Uh, you know VIP Paris? The big Congress Centre there. They just installed a Dante system, PAVA system there, which is... I don't know if any of you guys have ever used a Dante system, but you can plug your content in and say, right, we just want this bit to go this here, this bit to go here, this bit to go here. And the whole thing is so versatile. But with Munich, there wasn't that at all. So that was a hand-holding exercise with the client saying, right, you need, you know, if this is the sound you want in these spaces, this is the PAVA system we have to rent. And then we help them to integrate that into the setup for the five days. Um, slightly controversial question, maybe, but I'm just wondering when you're talking about the different layers of sound and how, you know, adding more and more layers to a space mm. might, um, might affect people in a different way. At what point does it become destructive rather than constructive to just add more sound to a space rather than silence or taking sound away? So we do that sometimes. I mean, we have recommended in audit reports to clients, even though our business model is to sell soundscapes, we have said occasionally, like, look, guys, don't put anything in here. Um, it is quite a subjective one. We don't have a threshold where if it, say, goes above 75 dB, we always say, right, no sound. But if you're in that space, then that is something that you can sort of almost feel. Um, what there is is a really interesting effect in sound called the Lombard effect. I don't know if you know, but it's, if everyone's, it happens in restaurants the whole time, right? If it gets too loud and you're trying to have a conversation with someone, you've got to speak louder. Then the person next to you has to speak louder. And then everyone's speaking louder and louder and louder until the whole thing's a cacophony and you can't understand a word. So I can't tell you exactly what decibel that happens at because I'd be making it up right now. But there probably is one where it does happen. And it would be quite interesting to find that out. But we normally do, if something's over 75 dB, then it's probably not worth putting sound into it. So is that how you'd evaluate whether or not to add more sound? Yeah. So as part of our process, what we do is we go and we audit a space and we'll go take sound reading levels. And we can have a look about, you know, what is this normally like? What effects is this going to be having on people? Um, any retail space, we normally like to have it under 70 dB. Above 70 dB, it's going to start getting quite painful. 75 is when it's grim. That's when you're in, you're in swimming pool territory and it's not very nice. Thanks. No worries. So, okay. Many okay. thanks, Johnny. For Thank you. Impressive presentation. Thanks, Johnny. Thank you.
Thanks a lot, Johnny Round, for the insights into your project. We hope to see you again at the ISA 2020. If you also have interesting projects, we are looking forward to interesting submissions and new cooperations for the International Sound Awards 2020. Again, the ISA will be hosted in Hamburg, Germany, in cooperation with the Reeperbahn Festival. If you want to submit a case, you can do this from the 3rd of February 2020 until the 30th of April. More information on www.international-sound-awards.com. The ISA 2020 sessions and a get-together will take place on Wednesday the 16th of September. You can celebrate the winners of the ISA 2020 with us at our award show on Thursday the 17th of September. So this was our ISA session podcast for this week. If you don't want to miss our next episodes, subscribe to our podcast. In our podcast episode next week, Mervi Heinaro, CEO and co-founder of Flex Sound Augmented Audio, tells us how they add the sensation of touch to music, games, movies and VR with their patent and Flex Sound Augmented Audio modules. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening and until next time.